Welcome to Northern Goal, the football podcast from the Evening Express and Pressing Journal. I'm Ryan Crail, back from my holidays, and I'm joined by Jimmy Durant, Paul Third, and Andy Skinner for this episode. How are you guys? Good, thanks. Grand, oh, thank you. Good, thanks, Ryan. Yeah, hope you had a good break. We've just spoken about Andy, but yeah, thank you for doing that for the listeners' benefit. Um, the while well, I've been away, I've obviously missed it. Quite, quite a, couple, a big couple of big results because Aberdeen obviously beating Livingston as Hibs were defeated. Um, it's it's kind of set us up for a an interesting battle for third place. It's it's sort of reinvigorated that battle that we perhaps thought was over. And Ross Kempney also recorded a big win um, to put themselves back in the tenth in the Premiership. Uh, so we'll discuss all that. We'll discuss Callie Thistle's season-ending two-two draw with Air United. There's also a big week ahead, so we're probably going to have to do a second episode this week, but a big evening ahead tonight for Cove, who aren't actually in action, but other results will dictate where they finish in League One. It's also a big night for Elgin, who are in action, and Borough Rangers, who begin their playoffs quest. But yes, starting with Aberdeen against the Livingston. Game ended 2-1. Paul, what did you make of the performance? Aberdeen played very well, and I just I have to say this before we start, guys. I'm the one that's refused to give up on this race for third for weeks. And you would be all the lads that have been laughing at me. Well, I might just get the last laugh yet. We'll see. <laughs> um, clearly, Hibs are still in the driving seat. <laughs> no, I've got to be said, Jamie. Hibs are still in the driving seat, I think. Um, and a win next week does end it. But Aberdeen, to their credit, are, are hanging in there. It's it's funny. I, I go back to Lee Griffith's injury time equaliser at Putaudry two weeks ago. And you just wonder, had Aberdeen hung on to win that game, you'd really be fancying their chances at this point. Um, honestly, I'm, I still don't know how I feel about it all. On one hand, the Dons deserve a pat in the back for not accepting their fate. But from a Hibs point of view, it speaks volumes about just how inconsistent every other team other than Rangers has been this season, that this is still a live issue going into the final week of the season. Especially when you add in the fact how poor Aberdeen's form has actually been overall. In 2021, I think if you're a, a Hibs fan, you're going to be gutted if your team blew it at this point. Uh, I think that's how their fans will, will view it. Um, what's more, they've only got themselves to blame as well because they've had so many chances to go over the line ages ago. But coming back to Aberdeen, they played well, they looked lively, and having Ryan Hedges back in the fold made a huge difference, especially in that last 20 minutes when he made his cameo off the bench. Ah, that's, that's just what I was going to ask you. 30, obviously... We'd all been under the impression that Hedges was out for the remainder of the season with his shoulder injury, and I'm kind of reading reading the bits from from Hedges over the weekend. Obviously, played tribute to the physios and the medical team for getting him back months ahead of schedule. I mean, did he look like a player that was kind of chomping at the bit, ready to go, with a kind of maybe still little bits of of sharpness that he, he maybe looked like he needed to to catch up on? It looked like he hadn't missed a beat, Jamie. He was straight off a park. Five minutes. He's it's a, a typical trademark long burst and run, a run. Sorry, it takes him from one end of the park to the other on a on a counter, and he's he hangs back on the edge of the box, and it's a very good finish from Flo Camberry's cutback when everyone else seems to be attracted to the ball. It's a class act, and I, I I look at him and I just I just see the guy who has been the main man that's kept Aberdeen ticking this season, and it's no coincidence. I did a piece for the websites uh, last night and it just really reflected on how big a miss he's been. I think the Dons have lost six of the 13 games he hasn't played this season. That, that tells you he's, he's a match winner. 
maybe not directly, but he's always involved and his presence fears opposition players. They don't know whether to go to him or back off and he creates space for teammates, even if he's not directly involved in an assist or a goal himself. Camberry seemed to be quite good again out on that sort of out on the left sort of side of things. He seemed to be running um, and getting decent, getting decent returns for the, the sort of directness of his play. I, I do think with the hedges goal, to be fair, um, Livingston. What, I don't know what Livingston's defence were doing because when Camberry stopped at the end edge of the box, he delayed the pass. He delayed the pass. He delayed the pass, and you can see hedges standing there free um, in the area. And no Livingston player. There must have been six Livingston player, players around him. No one goes near him, which I thought was quite uh, quite humorous. Uh, I wanted to ask you about um, Dylan McGeek. Paul, he's he seemed to impress the fans, certainly with his performance. Is he, if he can stay fit, is he a man that could keep Scott Brown out of the team next season? Oh, it's funny, that thought went through my head as well. I mean, I still don't know what to make of Dylan McGeek. I mean, how long has he been here now? 18 months? Um, you can see he's a quality player. But we just haven't seen him get a regular run of games, especially for Aberdeen. For me, his performance at the weekend was the best I've seen from him in an Aberdeen jersey. He gave the Dons control of the midfield. He was the perfect buffer in front of the back four. He offered that protection. He's dependable and reliable when he's on the ball, not to give it away. He was pretty much everything that I think we've all looked and thought, that's what Scott Brown's role is going to be for Aberdeen next season. Next season, sorry. Uh, certainly, niggling injuries have robbed us of the chance to really assess him so far, and hopefully, he can get a, a regular run of games. I don't think it would be disappointing if you had a, a Brown McGeeoch option there, because you don't want to run Scott Brown into the ground. He's going to be what 35, 36. He, he can I don't know if he can play every week, and uh, McGeeoch is certainly a, a viable alternative. I think Dylan McGeeoch um, is a player that's that's been. You know, highly regarded for a, a long time. Um, I look back to his spell at Hibs, which was, you know, probably the the best stint of his career. And you know, he was uh, an instrumental player alongside John McGinn in in that midfield. Um, as you know, Hibs stormed the, the the championship and you know won the the Scottish Cup. Um, McGee off the back of that won some recognition um, internationally as well. He was part of a, a Scotland squad that. Travelled to Peru and Mexico. Um, you know, his move down south didn't work out too too well for him. But uh, I, I think you know the the fitness issues have always been you know the the, the thing that have held him back. Uh, I don't think there's any doubting the the ability there. So um, you know, if Aberdeen can you know get to the bottom of those uh, sort of injury worries, then I, I think there's a, a cracking option there to have that you know you, you'd want to. To try and keep a hold of, if uh, if possible. Another name I'm going to mention because I think it's worth mentioning. I've watched the footage of the game. Connor McLennan. He he was played as a sort of conventional right back on the right hand side of a four four two. Instead of young Calvin Ramsey, Ross McCrory wasn't available for the game. Do we see this being McLennan's position going forward? He seemed to be getting forward with uh, plenty of uh, plenty of enthusiasm during the game. That's that's his strength and his weakness right there in the, that same question you're asking here, Ryan. I don't see Conor McLennan playing right back for Aberdeen on a regular basis. I hope I don't see Conor McLennan playing right back for Aberdeen on a regular basis. It, it was a hard shift in circumstances he's not accustomed to. And he, he, he did okay, to be fair to him. But it's clear he's 
biggest threat for the Dons is as an attacking player. And he shows that in the first goal. He takes the throw in, uh, which goes to Niall McGinn, and he's in the box for the header to meet McGinn's cross. That's what you want from Conor McLennan. Not so much tracking back and trying to stop crosses coming in the box. When he's on the offensive and he's playing with confidence, which does seem to be the biggest obstacle, I think, for him as a player, he's, he's a very handy prospect. We just would need it consistently from him. It also kind of hints at the, something we've discussed previously is where Ross McCrory fits into this team going forward. Because he's played a couple of games at right back under Stephen Glass so far. And ostensibly under Derek McInnes, he was a central midfielder alongside Lewis Ferguson. Um, you've now got Dylan McGeek who's coming back into the team. You've got Scott Brown coming in next season. You've also got Dean Campbell, who'd had a run of games under Glass. It's then where do you fit McCrory in? Um, I think right back is an option there if given that they're probably going to need someone, given we don't know what's going to happen with Ronald Hernandez, it's probably a little bit too soon to say to Calvin Ramsey that he's the first choice. There's an option at centre-half, I suppose, as well. Although they're looking at, obviously, Declan Gallagher come in as well and wanting wanting to keep the other two centre-halves or two or three centre-halves around. So it's it's a little piece of the puzzle that, that Stephen Glass is obviously going to have to figure out an answer to um, in the coming weeks and months. Anyway, Aberdeen will be delighted to see the back of J. Manuel Thomas, who did score at the weekend. He scored his customary goal against Aberdeen, uh, but I understand he's probably going to be leaving Livingston in the summer, so uh, we can all breathe a sigh of relief over that one. Uh, just, to, just to go back to the situation with the league before we move on and discuss other things. Obviously, there's the Hibs game um, next week, which is huge because it's the chance for Aberdeen to go level. Um, and take that last, take the last game, or make the last game where they play Rangers and Hibs host Celtic. To make those games huge and so meaningful, and Aberdeen, you've got to tie in the fact that Aberdeen could potentially stop Rangers going invincible in the last league game. Just it'll be a total damp squib, won't it? If Aberdeen don't get that win over Hibs next week, for me it would be. And I think looking looking at the Ibrox game, taking the Hibs thing separately for a second, Aberdeen need that to be a live issue to get the best out of them in terms of a performance. I don't think any team wants to be going to Ibrox on trophy presentation day. I don't think that's an enjoyable occasion for any visiting team. Um, same goes when you go to Celtic when, when they've won the league. Uh, Aberdeen have done well when games have really mattered on the at the last and I think if they can get a result against Hibs next week it'll set up a really exciting and interesting finale at Ibrox for the reasons you've just outlined I was um, I was looking uh, reading Sean Wallace's piece yesterday about the potential UEFA Conference League um, opposition Aberdeen could have to take on um, when the European campaign gets underway obviously they've confirmed that they'll be part of that um, I think second qualifying round is when they're Currently going to go in. Um, have you have you seen the piece, Paul? Have you seen the potential potential opponents? It's um, it's not the sort of uh, competition of minnows we were perhaps expecting it to be. I suppose it doesn't look like it's going to be particularly easy compared to the the Europa League to get to the group stages. No, it it, it never is. <laughs> There's names that fans will be aware of there, um, even if the competition is a name that they're not accustomed to. But it's still, I still look back overall at this, and we should acknowledge 
that while European football for eight years in a row is not to be sniffed at, that Scottish Cup exit to Dundee United must still be hanging over Bitaudry somewhat, especially after St Johnston's penalty shootout win at Ibrox a few hours later. Um, silverware is one thing, and of course Aberdeen want to win trophies as every other club does, but there was serious money on the table for the team that gets to the playoff round of the Europa League, which is going to now be the Scottish Cup winners, because they know not only have they got a glamour tie, if they don't make it, they still go into this new conference league, which gives them football until Christmas. So it was it was a win-win. And in, in domestic terms, you get significant money, more than you'll get for winning the league, by being in the group stages of European football. Having guaranteed that sort of level of uh, European action until Christmas, it's going to be a huge financial boost for whichever club wins the cup in I'm sure as much as Stephen Glass and the Dons are keen to to move on and focus in these last two games, they must deep down know they've missed a huge golden chance here. Okay, so Aberdeen, as I've said, you'll have to, if you're an Aberdeen fan, you'll have to wait until next week to see your team play. They've got a free weekend this weekend. Uh, let's discuss Ross County then, the other Premiership game. They're concerned with uh, a 2-0 win over Dundee United. An enormous win to put them in pole position going into the final two games um, that they can avoid relegation. Uh, firstly, what we're thinking of the show, and I mean, at this point in the season, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty pretty impressive result, I would suggest. A hugely impressive result, and just as it looked as if they were maybe going to, to struggle for a, you know, a bit of form when you know the, the stakes were so high um, coming into this final stretch, um, you know, to pull off a, a victory in such sort of compelling fashion against Dundee United uh, just shows that they're up for the fight, I think. Um, you know, I wasn't at the game, but, uh, you know, it looks as if they bossed it from start to finish, really. Um, they got their goals quite early in the game um, and never looked like relinquishing their, their position after that. Um, so to, to send out such a, a strong message um, at this stage... Um, only two games to to go now, and you know of the the three teams at the bottom, County are the the team in the the driving seat. Um, you'd have to say, um, obviously Hamilton's victory against St Mirren would have had Brian Rice and his players coming off the the pitch feeling pretty good about themselves. But you know when when they found out about County's victory, um, it's there's no question that the the Staggies were the biggest winners of the of the bottom three over the weekend because. You know they now go into the the next game at home to Hamilton, knowing that there is a combination of results there, um, which would also need to see Kilmarnock lose, um, coupled with a, a county victory, which could secure their safety with a game still to play. So that's a, a massive incentive and a position that you really want to be in. You know, with pressure on teams around you, um, at this late stage in the season. Yeah, I think County probably couldn't have couldn't have asked for a better weekend. Really, I mean the Hamilton win. Obviously, I think that, that kind of makes the real losers of the weekend: Kilmarnock dropping into the bottom, the bottom two, and Kilmarnock having to face St Mirren next. Who I don't think there'll be a pushover by any means. And I think County. I think the only thing for County they would have loved to have the Hamilton game this Wednesday rather than waiting another ten days for it to come around. I do think that 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 will be the week the kind of match day where they seal their safety. I, I do think they will beat Hamilton. And then 
I think Killy, I can't see Killy beating St. Mirren. And then it just comes down to a bun fight on the last day with, um, I think it's Hamilton against Kilmarnock on the last day of the season, which will also determine who goes down and uh, who goes into the playoff. It's been a strange thing about this running for County that every time they seem to have picked up a good result, they've then had a big long break before the next game. But yeah, the game next Wednesday, next Wednesday could be, you know, could be everything for Ross County season. They could seal it, depending how results go. I suppose the most important thing is that they they seal Hamilton's fate. Um, if Kelly don't lose at home at St Mirren, then you know that's the next battle for the final game of the season. But just to just to go back to the Dundee United uh, the performance against Dundee United, Andy uh, Blair Spittle, where has he been, and why is he the best footballer in the world? <laughs> Yeah, he, he seemed to come out of, of nowhere a wee bit in terms of starting um, this game. Um, he's made the odd substitute appearance since he, he initially came back um, from a, a loan spell with Partick Thistle when the, the lower leagues were suspended in January. Um, John Hughes, relatively new into the job at that point, you know, thought that he was a you know a decent option to have. Um, so you know he's been part of County's squad ever since then, but you know he's only really appeared in the odd uh, you know substitute appearance. Um, but you know for him to to start this game suggests that you know he's a player that's really caught the eye in training in recent weeks, and he's he's a player that you know has shown glimpses in the past, but never quite held down a, a place in the the side, which you know kind of underlines why he was sent out lo- out on loan to to Thistle in the first place. But um, you know his, his impact in in this game was uh, you know unquestionable. Uh, great link up with Michael Gardine for the the first goal. You know he received the the ball out wide and managed to pick out Jordan White to um, you know managed to to squeeze the ball in with with his head at uh, quite a tight angle. Uh, another you know really strong performance up front from from White to has been the the focal point of much of their attacking play in recent weeks. Um, and then it was his corner that set up Alex Jakoviti for the the second goal, and um, that that just shows a you know another set piece threat that uh, you know County do possess with you know a few good corner kick and free kick takers. Um, Ian Vigers and Stephen Kelly have been among the assists from dead balls this season as well, but uh, Jakoviti in particular has emerged as a a real goal threat from from those situations in recent weeks. He got a you know, a crucial equaliser down at Kilmarnock a few weeks ago. Um, so, no county looking like a goal threat again. Um, they've obviously uh, before the game they had the the lowest number of goals scored a- across the league, and it's not something that we'd you know associated with them in the past. You know, their their frailties undoubtedly had been um, y- you know the the goals that they'd conceded. Had had really mounted up over the last couple of seasons, but um, you know if if they've managed to find an attacking spark going into this you know last two games, then it bodes well for for their prospects of uh, you know clawing themselves out of this predicament. Tell me, Andy, are all these players, your Jordan Whites, your Alex Jakovic's players that have come in this season at different points, are they are they all on deals that end this season? Yeah. And it's kind of dependent on whether. The Staggies, do you manage to ensure their Premiership survival? Whether these guys get new, new contracts? Um, there's there's a mixture. Um, it's not completely known 
Um, County don't always disclose the length of contracts for for players. Um, my understanding with Jordan White is that there was a an incentive um, put into his deal in January, uh, whereby if County stayed up, then there would be a, an extension uh, on the table for him. But uh, I would imagine that may be the same for for a number of the the other players as well. Uh, I mean, one way or another, it's certainly going to be a, a, a rebuild of sorts in the summer because you know there are players on loan, for example, Stephen Kelly, Charlie Lakin that have been you know quite central to to County's um, you know side this season who will be moving on, um, and obviously John Hughes is out of contract himself in the summer, so it remains to be seen what will happen there. Um, but you know, you would imagine given a summer transfer window, if John Hughes does stay on. He would like the opportunity to kind of build his own squad and and implement his his real style, which is something that he's, by his own admission, not really done yet. You know, he came in halfway through a season. Um, he, he was just keen to to focus on trying to get results. And going back to his time at uh, Inverness when he came back, um, came into the into the uh, the side at a a time midway through the season as well. It really wasn't until the the following season, his first full season in charge, that he was able to to really reap the benefits of a, a pre-season um, implementing his vision and you know that really pleasing on the eye style of football that he 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 favours. So um, it's going to be a you know an interesting time beyond the the summer, but you know there is so much still to be settled between between now and then. John Hughes was kind of asked about the future of a lot of his first team players and not too long ago. And, you know, his his response was very much along the lines of haven't even thought about it yet because we've we've got so much still to compete for this season. So um I'm sure the thoughts will quickly turn towards securing the, the future of uh you know much of the first team squad once uh, once their fate is known okay so a bit of uncertainty in the playing squad and in the dugout at the global energy stadium somewhere else where there's a bit of dugout uncertainty is Inverness and that's where we'll be heading next listeners did you like that the consummate broadcast are linking the sections together um okay Callie, this whole season is over. It was kind of already over before their final game against Air United. This game um, meant everything to Air, and they managed to secure a 2-2 draw up in Inverness, uh, which saved them from relegation to League One. Um, reflections on Inverness's season then, um, given the, the sort of the fact that they were so far behind in games at one stage, they. They had such a stop-start campaign. I mean, the championship was stop-start, but you know, it was it was particularly bad for Inverness. And then the the added issue of John Robertson taking a, a leave of absence and Neil McCann having to come in as a temporary boss. I think they they will be disappointed. I'm sure to miss out on the playoffs. I mean, it, it looked achievable in recent weeks, but will they be too disappointed given? Given there were points where we we're talking about relegation, there were points where, um, yeah, th- things didn't look like they might go as well as they eventually did. It's aye, it's a, a difficult one to to judge because you, you know you're right in pointing to the fact that they were looking at you know a, a survival battle in the not too distant past, 
then there was probably a point where they would have snapped your hand off for fifth place. Um, you know, as they, they sat in second bottom in the, the relegation playoff spot and, and you know, un, unable to to strike up a, a winning formula just not long after Neil McCann came in. Um, but that was already in the midst of a, you know, really busy run of games where, you know, they, they squandered a lot of cheap points. Um, I look back at their, their form against certain teams. I mean, Aloha, who went down, are a, a side that Inverness didn't beat. They they only picked up two points against the Wasps. And, you know, they had one game in particular, I think Barry Wilson was in charge. They they found themselves 2-1 up, missed a penalty to to win 3-1 and, and ended up getting pegged back to 2-all. So uh, just things like that they may look back on, which obviously happened a lot earlier in the season. Um, the big frustration, I guess, when they, they did start to, to pick up form and momentum under Neil McCann was that, you know, they, they got themselves within sort of touching distance and it was kind of late in the in the season that they, they fell short. So that, that just sort of added to their, their pain. But I think, you know, looking back on it, they will, you know, really home in on that early stage and early to mid stage of the season. Um, but then again, as as you rightly say, there are mitigating circumstances. I think you, you discussed it on the podcast last week. Um, you, you know, you have to factor in everything that's happened in terms of the the management team. Um, it, it clearly wasn't easy for the, the players or, or anyone at the club to adapt to that situation. Um, and it's it's credit to Neil McCann and Billy Dodds who you know came in a wee bit later that you know they were able to to strike up such a you know rapport with the players and in a really short space of time. Uh, I was amazed actually that I was looking yesterday, Neil McCann actually took charge of 16 games and, you know, his first one was at the end of February, which really wasn't that long ago. It, uh, remarkable kind of run that they they had of games, but, um, you know, he's he's now going to, to move on and, you know, he, he gave it everything to, to try and, uh, you know, get the, the club uh, into that top four and, and meet their target of contesting for promotion. But, uh, Alas, it wasn't to be. I think it's going to be an interesting summer ahead at Inverness. Obviously, you've got hopefully John Robertson coming back into the dugout. You've got um, to pieces of a successful team there tied down for longer term in Robbie Dees, Scott Allardyce, David Carson, um, Roddy McGregor. There's guys there that can be part of um, potential promotion pushes in the future. But on the flip side, you've also got a number of players who are out of contracts, such as Nikolai Todorov, who's been probably the star of the last few months under Neil McCann. Aaron Doran, who's served the club really well over the last 10 years. You've got the captain, Sean Welsh, as well, that's out of contract. Brad Mackay, who's kind of really impressed in the last couple of months. And then obviously today, you've you've got news that uh, Daniel Mackay's kind of been linked with a move to Hibernian in the Premiership, which I think if if that comes to fruition, I don't think you could really begrudge Daniel that opportunity given how well he's performed this season I think he scored I think it's nine goals in all competitions this year and he's kind of really kicked on um, after the kind of the promise that he showed when he first broke onto the scene in, in 2017 so it's going to be it's going to be an interesting one it's going to probably be a busy a busy summer for uh, the coaching team and the, the board of directors in terms of getting contracts done and getting players signed in to hopefully challenge for, for promotion next season I still look at Carlith this all overall and 
the league table and I see 12 draws from 27. I know I touched on it last week, but that's what's cost them here. And we can talk about John Robertson and the very difficult circumstances for all involved, but they didn't win enough games. And I go back to something that Duncan Shearer, our columnist in the Press and Journal, said to me months ago. I look at Cali Thistle and I see a team that are hard to beat and hard to be beaten by. They've got to fix that for next year or it's going to be the same again. They're going to just be in about fourth, fifth and and, and falling short. There's, there's improvements that need to be made there. Sorry, Paul, you stopped rather abruptly there. Um, okay, well, again, we'll need to wait and see what happens with Cali Thistle. Um, but we know their target next season will be to get back up to the top flight. Um, okay, so next up, we'll need to discuss... League One, League Two, and the Pyramid Playoffs, where there's still a lot of um, a lot to play for for our team. Okay, so firstly, League One. Let's start with that. So, Cove aren't playing tonight, but following their defeat to Airdrieonians at the weekend, um, if they, if they are to finish second, they need Airdrieonians to fail to win at Falkirk this evening. Um, it was a good week for Cove, to be fair. Um, overall, they, they drew two two with Park. They won two 0 at Montrose. Uh, how how vital is that second place for them, Jamie? In terms of their the playoff route they will then have. I think it would be very important to them. The second place gives them home advantage in the second leg of the playoff against um, either Falkirk or Adrianians. If if they do finish second, it most likely will be against Adrianians. To me, they, they had done really well coming through that week because they'd got the hardest schedule probably of the lot playing four times in seven days and they started with two demanding fixtures first up against the two full-time teams and played really well to get two two draws out of them. They played Montrose on Thursday night and we looked very very kind of comfortable and assured in that 2-0 win. And they didn't play particularly badly against Adrianians on Saturday. It just looked like a, like a bridge too far almost because the, they maybe didn't have the energy levels that they'd had through the previous games, which is understandable. So given you're dealing with part-time players, these guys haven't trained for a couple of weeks because of the amount of games that they've been playing. And even a, as it turns out, even a draw would have been good enough to get second place because Falkirk lost at home to Montrose. But now they've kind of obviously got to sit and wait for for tonight's games. I honestly, I honestly don't know which way it's going to go. I mean, it'd be hard... At the minute to see, it'd be hard at the minute to see Falkirk picking up too many positive results. So your head would probably say Adrianians would would be favourites to win that one. But as it comes to this stage of the season, kind of pressure can do funny things to people. And this, I mean, there's still a chance for Montrose mathematically to make the playoffs. I think they need to they need to beat um, Partick Thistle and they need Falkirk to lose for them to kind of sneak in at the last. Um, and then you've got obviously. Morton coming down from the championship to join um, the three playoff teams. So it'll be it'll be a big kind of couple of weeks ahead for Cove. I think they will be grateful for the the week off that they've had this week and not having to play midweek games. Um, and I mean, if they're if they do turn out to be at home this weekend in the playoffs, then they've, they've still got a very good home record, and it'll just be up to them to put themselves in a good position ahead of ahead of going wherever in the in the second leg, if it does turn out that they finish 
second and they get the home advantage second, then they just want to be kind of in again in a good position going into the second leg to hopefully seal progress to the final. Elgin, um, they also need results to go their way this evening to confirm a place in the playoffs, um, League Two. They're currently sitting fourth, Elgin, but they're level on points in goal difference with fifth place Stranraer. Stranraer host Edinburgh tonight. Um, Edinburgh beat Elgin 2 0 at the weekend, and Elgin this evening welcome Champions Queen's Park to Borough Briggs. Now, obviously, the best thing that could happen is that Edinburgh beat Stranraer like they beat Elgin, and then Elgin take a point against Queen's Park. That means they should, in theory, uh, they will be um, ahead of them on both points in goal difference. But obviously, Stranraer get a result against Edinburgh. The pressure is on Elgin to get a result against a team that haven't dropped a lot of points this season. Which way do we see this one going? I think if you're Elgin, you're hoping the fact the beer gardens are open have led to the Queen's Park players enjoying the fact they've won the league. And <laughs> we will we will see. Uh, <laughs> Clutching I, I, the straws. <laughs> <laughs> There's maybe tequila straws, I don't know. Um, but El- Elgin have got a huge one tonight. I, I, I would go into it going, it's in our hands, boys. Let's just make sure we get the result we need and don't leave it to chance anywhere else. So one of our teams is already in playoff action well will be as of this evening Brora Rangers take on Lowland League champions Kelty Hearts in the first leg of the pyramid playoff obviously two legs and then whoever wins gets the chance to take on Club 42 which will be breaking for the chance to play in the SPFL from next season um, this is a massive game obviously it's one we didn't know if it would happen for so long the right decision has been made. Now it's up to Brora. Um, Andy, I think Kelly Hart's are the marginal favourites in terms of the bookies. Um, they're undoubtedly going to be a strong team. There's very, there's very much, uh, it's very much my opinion that if Brora can get through this tie, they're basically in the SPFL. Maybe that's um, a bit premature, but I don't know if anyone else shares that sentiment, but it's going to be a tough one. Yeah, I just can't believe that the game's actually here, finally. I mean, we seem to have been talking about Brora potentially facing Kelty for about two years now. Um, and, and here we are, you know, just getting ready to, to actually play the fixture. Um, so we'll we'll see how it goes on, on the night. Um, obviously, Brora have home advantage this evening. I, I mean, I don't know if Kelty will relish the, the trip up north during a midweek. Um, I, I don't know if Brora may have preferred to have... You know, knowing what they needed to do going into the home leg, um, you know, on Saturday. So, you know, it's difficult to to measure any sort of advantage there. But um, Kelty haven't played since January. Um, obviously, the low, Lowland League was cut short at the at the same time as the Highland League was. But Broda's Scottish Cup uh, run managed to keep them playing into early April. Um, so it might be something that you know helps them slightly. Um, Kelty have got a lot of experience of uh, certainly SPFL football in, in their squad. You know, look at guys like Nathan Austin, their main talisman who's been on loan at East Fife, Tam Scobie, Callum Higginbotham as well, and um, a couple of ex-Elgin players such as Thomas Riley and Dylan Easton as, as well. So, um, you know, the, both sides will fancy their chances. Um, it'll be fascinating to see how it 
how it goes. Um, I think Brora have confidence that they can take anyone on on their own patch, and you know if, if they can deliver a, a really compelling statement tonight, then they'll uh, they'll fancy their chances of of seeing out the tie at New Central Park on Saturday. Um, what they don't want to be doing is uh, you know going down there trailing. Um, so now looking forward to to seeing how this one unfolds. Uh, and as you say, I think whoever goes through will probably fancy their chances against a, you know, an out of sorts breaking team that have, uh, you know, really struggled to to produce any sort of winning form. Um, you not just not just this season, but you know, going back the last three or four seasons. I'm with you 100% here, Andy. I think we can all agree breaking's days as an SPFL club look numbered. You just listen to the guys here rattling off that are in the Kelty squad and we, and we know all about the qualities of the Brora team. I think whoever wins this playoff is going up. No doubts in my mind at all. I think Breakin are, are on their way out. You're talking about the, the structure of this first tie. Andy, the, the one I look back to in terms of Highland League teams in the playoffs is it was a final, to be fair, but it was Cove, Cowden, Beath. Um, the season before, Cove got promotion where they absolutely dominated um, Cowdenbeath at Harlow Park, I think it was at that stage, but didn't score. It's it's vital to me that Brora make the most of the game at home at Dudgeon Park with Kelly having made the trip to build that cushion. Because if they don't, then it, it, it makes things much harder. Yeah. Well, who do you think is going to be... You've talked about the Kelly players. Who do you think is going to be crucial for, for Brora? In, in any Brora game, I think um, everything really goes through Andy McRae. He's a such a live wire of a, a player. Normally sits in behind his namesake um, of no relation, Jordan McRae. And, you know, just when he picks up the ball deep in, inside the opposition half, he, he can make any number of things happen. Because, you know, Brora, I've got some some good threat in wide areas. Um, I really like Bjorn Wagenar, actually, who's, um, you know, a, a player that's been with them a couple of seasons now the the Dutchman um he's got you know potential to to make things happen and also a, a very serious set piece threat as well um the likes of Greg Morrison out wide as a you know a good physical presence who can you know provide a goal threat as well and Jordan McRae another one that I, I mentioned there leads the line really tirelessly too so um definitely goals in the the Brora team the other thing that you know, counts in their favour if they do find themselves under the cosh at any stage is just how good a goalkeeper they've got. You know, and Joe Mallon, they've got a guy who, you know, really could quite easily be playing at a significantly higher level. Um, it was something that, you know, I found was almost quite comforting when they were having to defend a lead against Hearts in the, you know, the, the memorable victory that they, they had against the Jambos not too long ago. Um you know, they were leading in that game for a long, long time. But knowing that they had Joe Mallon as the last line of defence must have been, you know, very, very reassuring for the the defenders on, on that occasion. Um, they're just a really well-structured team that have, by and large, been together for a number of years. They, they know each other inside out. And I think that really has shown this season more than any when they've been asked to come out of the wilderness a few times, having not played in a while. Um, and and then you know the demand has been there for them to to go and perform 
Um, you know, the Hearts game was there first since January. They did the same at Easter Road in the Betfred Cup. That was, you know, the first time they'd played since the previous March. I think that game was in October. So, um, you, you know, there, there is a, a collective understanding in that Brora team, which I think will serve them well. Um, you know, they've had a couple of tastes of coming out of uh, the, the wilderness, as, as I say, and I, I don't think the fact that they've they've not played since early April will count against them too much. They've also got a few boys in the squad who were around the last time they tried to get through the promotion playoffs. You've got um, Dale Gillespie as in the kind of the midfield. You've got Joe Mullen in goal. Uh, Stephen Mackay was obviously a player at the time in 2015 um, and actually got sent off in that second leg against Montrose. Um, but obviously the manager now. So they've got boys there who've kind of been there before and maybe maybe probably learnt from that experience uh, six years ago. Obviously different circumstances because of the world we're living in just now, but the the Brora squad is probably as strong as it could be going into a game of this magnitude. Okay, before we go, I should also mention that in League One, Peterhead were also in action over the weekend and they play Dumbarton tonight. Um, they lost 2-1 at home to relegated Forfer on Saturday. Um, which I think I've seen both Scott Brown and Jim McAnally admit there was perhaps a, an element that Peterhead, having secured their League One place um, the week before, were you know maybe had a bit, a little bit less to play for than Forford did. Um, anyway, later later in the week we'll do we'll do another episode once we know Cove's playoff schedule, once we know Elgin's situation, once Broder have played there first playoff game and once I know what's happened between Peterhead and the Barton to round that stuff off because it's a, a big time for all those clubs well maybe not so much Peterhead but the other three um, but yeah that concludes this week's episode of Northern Goal cheers to Andy Jamie Paul for joining me today cheers guys cheers for trying no worries thank you very much if you've enjoyed this episode you can like and subscribe on your favourite podcast app you can email us northerngoal at dctmedia.co.uk and enjoy the rest of your week cheers Hope you loved the episode, and if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.